Well, good morning. Glad that you're here. Um, over the course of this past week, I found myself just in a spot where I was thanking God for, for all the different things uh, that were going on in my life, and I found myself over and over throughout the course of this week thanking God for the friends that he's brought into my life. I've, I've got some, some incredible, uh, godly friends that, that love me, love my family well, and encourage us along the way, and, and I hope that you have friends that you are thanking God for as well, right? Take a second to, to think about your friends and the people that God's placed in your life, all the time that you spend with your friend over the, the years, hopefully the fun that you get to have with, with your friends, uh, the encouragement, the support that comes from these friends and the good times and the bad times. And, and just at the end of the day, right, when you think about your friends, your friends, my friends, have an incredible influence over the lives that we lead. Right? Our, our friends influence so much of who we are, what we do, the things that we're about. Right, they, they drive so much of the decisions that we'll make as they step into our life to encourage, to give advice, and all those different kinds of things. So it's important thinking about the incredible influence that they've got in our lives to pick good ones. Right? It's important to, to think through uh, with some wisdom about who it is we're going to let get close to us and then drive us in one direction or another. And James knows that, and we see that in God's Word this morning. If you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to James chapter 4, and, and as you do so, think about your friends and the influence that they've got over you, and then just, just be ready to expand that concept of friendship and influence just a little bit from the way that we're thinking about it, because God is going to, to expand this, hopefully in our minds, a little bit more. Because in James chapter 4, we get this concept introduced of, of friendship, yeah, we're familiar with, but, but we hear this concept now of friendship in a totally different light, right? James paints this picture that, that we, as the church family, as followers of Jesus, we've got the opportunity now to, to, to live and walk as friends of God, right? Or the opportunity to, to turn our back on that relationship and to live and walk as friends of this world, and there was an issue that was going on back in that first century church that James was writing to. And so James wants to paint this very clear picture. Guys, you're not going to live on, on both ends. You're going to walk as a friend of God or as a friend of the world. And so all of chapter 4 is essentially, in the book of James, is essentially this warning. So, hey, listen, you're going to need to pick and be wise about which direction that you're influenced. And so knowing that, let's look at it together, starting off first in, in verse 4 of chapter 4, and in doing so, we get a picture of a friendship with the world. And I've got to warn you, as I begin to read chapter 4 up here, that, that he starts off uh, pretty strong with this verse, right? Let's read it together, and then we'll, we'll see what, what God's Word has to say to us. Verse 4 of James 4 says this, you adulterous people, I told you you started strong, right? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, James, he, he launches right, right into this in chapter 4. And I want you to think for a minute, if you've been with us through the book of James, how James has talked to his readers so far. Every time he's introduced a, a new subject or a new topic, what has he called the people that he's writing to? My dear brothers. My dear brothers, don't forget this. My dear brothers, let me encourage you with this. My dear brothers, I've got another thing to remind you about to, to make sure your mind is focused and rested on here. But, but here, right, instead of that loving language of my dear brothers, which we've seen over and over, if you just look, chapters 1, 2, and 3, it's there. Every, every time he changes his thought, my dear brothers is the transition. But here, it's adulterous people. 
And he's writing to the same people. Right? This letter has not shifted. It is still going to the church family. This is going to the people of God. And so it makes us pause and wonder, okay, what, what in the world is going on that he would have had to say that to them? And we're going to see that, right? The phrase, you adulterous people, is used to describe uh, the, the same person that has committed adultery in a relationship with their spouse, Right, This is an accusation towards some of them describing unfaithfulness towards the one they love and the one that they're in a relationship with. And we all know that when you turn from the one you love, when you turn from the one that you are in a committed relationship or marriage with, it's a serious thing and it brings about pain and heartache. Right, It does not bring about any good things. The result is always negative. And so when he says that and he uses this harsh language here, what he's doing is he's warning Right? He is pleading with Christians then in the first century, and he's pleading with me and you right here, right now, to consider our actions, to determine if, if we are walking closely and intimately with Jesus where there's joy and where there's life, or, right, or if we've turned our backs and if we're being unfaithful to God. Right? The, the warning here is that friendship with the world means turning our back or turning away from the relationship that we've got with God. And culturally, that, that might, might be a hard thing for us to grasp because we think of, of the term friendship a little bit different. We think, well, I can be friends with this person and this person and this person, and in effect, we can, right? We can be friends with a lot of different people, but, but we use that word so, so casually. I mentioned one of my kiddos last week had talked about his new great friend at school, and we said, what's the name? And he said, oh, I don't know the name, but he's my good friend. I'm like, well, yeah, there, there's some work that, that needs to happen there to develop that relationship, and it did. They, they know each other's names now, right? But, but here's the deal, right? Friendship for us is a casual thing. We throw the word around. We say, my friend this or my friend that one. Really, we should be saying, that guy I met one time, right? Not necessarily friend. In the first century when James is writing, that is not how it was. The, just the term itself was reserved for something much, much deeper. Friendship then, where there was this sense of sharing, this notion that, that people were connected. If, if you were a friend with someone, you had all things in common with them. You had the same heart, you had the same mind, you had the same drive, priorities, motives, all of that stuff was a shared thing with the people that you would call friend, right? It was not a casual word. And so knowing the context of that, the people that were alive there in the first century, and knowing how that term was used, look at chapter 4 in your or, sorry, verse 4 in your Bible again, and look at the second half of the word, and, and let me maybe reread it, knowing how they view friends, right? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world, or whoever wants to have all things in common with, and be deeply connected to the, to the views, to the values, to the priorities, to the goals of this world, that person, in doing so, has made himself an enemy of God. Right? Well, what happens is, is when, when we shift and turn and face right, the things of this world, and we go after the things of this world, and our hearts, our values, everything is driving in this direction, naturally, our back is turned to where we were. Right? In this case, our back is turned to a relationship with God. Right? And, and if we back up just a couple of verses, right, go back to verse 1, we see what friendship with the world brings into our lives. Look at verse 1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. And you ask and you don't get 
You don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend what you're praying for on your worldly passions. Listen, guys, friendship with the world, it, it brings some very, very specific things, and we see it in these verses. We see conflict with people. This is fighting within the church that's going on here in verses 1 and 2. This is not an outside of the church thing that he's addressing. He's addressing this going on within, right, that there's fighting among people, that there's jealousy, there's quarrels. Uh, at the end of verse 1, uh, sorry, in the beginning of verse 2, he, he describes this murder that's going on within the church, and you're thinking, listen, my life group gets a little chippy if I take the last donut. What in the world is going on that's causing them to kill one another? And just so we're clear, he, he's referencing Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, okay, where Jesus said, if you've got anger stored up in your heart towards your brother, you, you might as well have committed murder, right? It's this heart thing that he's driving at. But he says, when you're turned facing the things of this world, there is going to be conflict with people. What has God called this to? How does God call us to deal with people? Lewis said it earlier. We're called to love people. That's what Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. You can read in Philippians, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit and humility. Consider other people better than yourselves. But that doesn't happen when we're facing the world, when we have the goals and the priorities of the world. When we're facing this way, it's conflict with people. But not only that, if you look at verse, uh, the end of verse 1, there's conflict in our hearts. Right? Not only conflict externally, there is this conflict internally when we're facing the wrong direction. He describes our passions being at war within us. And guys, that happens. We've all experienced this when we know the right thing to do and we're not doing it. When we know we're going the wrong direction, the, the Holy Spirit inside of us is saying, no, 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 this isn't good, this isn't right, this isn't best, it doesn't what God wants for you. And there's this internal conflict going on when we're chasing after the things of the world as God is at work inside us. And then finally, we see that when we're going after the things of the world, there's conflict with God himself. Right, if you look at verses 2 and verse 3, you, you see that, that this has disrupted or interrupted their prayer life. Right, they've gone from praying, God, hallowed be your name. Right, they've gone from, from God, your will be done, not mine, to now praying specifically for their own worldly, earthly passions to be fulfilled. Right, in verse 3, you ask and you don't get it because you ask wrongly. You're praying with the wrong heart and the wrong motives. You're taking the wrong approach to God to get what the things of the world have told you are important and not the blessings that come from following after Jesus. Listen, if a believer were to turn from the things of God and to chase after the things of the world and allow these things that, that you see on the screen right back there to, to become a regular part of their life, how intimate, how sweet, how close do you think that this believer's relationship with God is going to be? Pro probably not very. Right? Have, have you ever sensed that? I, I would imagine, he, listen, he's writing to the church, right? I, I would imagine that the believers today have the same struggles that believers in the first century had, right? I would imagine that, that all of us have gone through a season in our life where we've lost focus, where we, we've, we've lost sight of the things that God has called us to, and we've got caught up in chasing after the things that this world has to offer. And, and maybe, maybe you feel like you're there right now. Right, where you feel like, you know what, I'm just going after the wrong things, and, and these things are a reality in my life. I can sort of see this pattern developing. Listen, and what we see right here in God's Word, that then when we're going this direction, away from God and, and after the things of the world, that, that sin creeps in, and that sin in our life disrupts the intimacy 
the fellowship that we can have with God. I read this quote years ago. I think it's Andy Stanley. He might have stolen it from his dad, Charles Stanley. I can't remember, but, but it's this concept that purity paves the way to intimacy, right? Walking with God, doing what God has called us to do. Man, we draw close to the Father with our backs turned to God, chasing after the things of this world that that sin has crept in and has blocked the intimacy that we can have with God, right? Think, think about it like this. This is sort of a silly example, but in my car, I've got this air freshener, uh, and it is much needed. Uh, I've got several people in my car all the time coming back and forth from sports games. There's probably some shin guards and some socks in the back of my car right now. I know there's some baseball stuff and some old food in the back of my car right now. Guys, we need to clean that up later. Um, and, and so I just, I need this air freshener in my car. And I put it on the vent and, and sort of turn the little dial up to full blast to get all of that good smell from the front seat way back to the back seat where it needs to go, and, and nothing happened. I was like, what in the world? And so I fiddled with it, and nothing happened, and, and none of the smell was coming out, and I was so frustrated, I just left it there, expecting it to start working. Well, it never did, right? And, and weeks go by, I'm like, what is going on with this thing? And, and so I pulled it off of, of the air vent, and I began to look at it, and when I turned it over, I noticed two things, right? And the first thing you guys are all aware of, and that's, I'm not a genius. Um, and, and the second thing is revealed the first thing, and there's this, this piece of foil over the back that you have to peel off in order for it, in order for it to start working. And, and so I did, right? There was something blocking it, right, from, from delivering what was needed to the rest of the car. And, and all it took was removing the thing that was blocking it for it to begin functioning and working the way that it was designed, and that, that's sort of what we're seeing here in James chapter 4, right? When we turn away from the covenant relationship that we have with God and face and chase the things of this world, sin creeps into our life and it disrupts or it blocks the intimacy that we can experience with God. It doesn't mean that we're not saved anymore. It doesn't mean that we're not children of God anymore. Jesus says that he's got us in his hand and nothing can take us out. We can't take ourselves out of his hand if we are, in fact, his children, right? This passage is just saying that there's been a disruption in the intimacy that we enjoy when we're chasing after Jesus. And, and it's not a good thing. It's not one of those things where we sort of wade into the conversation lightly. James doesn't soft pedal around it and, and hope they maybe understand understand what he's talking about, James is very blunt when he says, you adulterous people. He's wanting them to get the image that they have turned their back on the one that loves them, the one that they're in a covenant relationship with, and that they're chasing after something that is not good for them, right? So he brings them this news, and if they're honest, and if they're evaluating their hearts, not all of them, but some of them in that church, that they realize this isn't a good thing. But in the midst of that, James comes with good news as well. Look down at verse 6. In the middle of this picture, chasing after the bad stuff, leaving behind God, James says this, but God, it's a great phrase that we find throughout the Bible, right? But God, in the middle of something like that, but God, what's he do? He gives more grace. Doesn't give grace, but God gives more grace right? Even in the midst of that. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. God is merciful. He's gracious. He is loving, and he willingly gives me and you all that we need to walk closely with him. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, and I love this verse, if we are faithless, God remains faithful because God cannot deny himself. When we're unfaithful to God, God gives more grace, right? And, and that grace happens 
we experience that grace, look at verse 6, when we humble ourselves before God. Right? And, and as we do, the grace that he gives allows us to walk in the relationship and the friendship that we were designed to walk in as friends of God. And, and so now we're shifting right? as we continue to walk through this chapter from, from, from this way, chasing after the things of the world. And now he's painting this picture of what it looks like for us to turn from this and to walk as friends of God. Look at verse 7. James says, if you're in this moment, right? If, if, if this is connecting, if this is you, and even if it's not, he says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So in, in, in describing these two friendships, in describing these two relationships that we see, James gives us tangible, real-life action steps for me and for you and for the church then to walk with Jesus. And I hope that what you'll see here is that there is there's spiritual movement that happens between the two, right? There's growth that happens in that moment where we realize we've been going the wrong direction. We need to turn now and shift and go back the way that God is calling us. And so we're going to walk through these couple of verses really slowly because this is the application of the text, right? We're not going to get to the end and say, now do these two or three sort of steps right here. This is the movement. James is trying to get us to go on the journey here, turning and choosing the right friend in our life, friend of the world. And of course, he's trying to get us to become and to continue to live as friends of God. Verse 7, it says, submit yourself to God, and we don't want to overthink that, right? There's verbs after that, commands after that to help us know what it means to, in fact, submit ourselves to God. And the first is this, right? Resist the devil. Resist the devil. If we're going to submit to God, if we've been going this way, at some point we have to say, no, I'm done. This isn't good. This isn't right. This isn't best. And I, I want to try to help us visualize what that means. And don't laugh at me. And I'm not trying to make light of this. I'm just trying to, to let you see where my mind went to help me understand what this looks like in a very tangible way, right? We've all been to a Mexican food restaurant, right? We've all had chips and salsa, right? Think about your favorite. Think about the, the Lupe stuff or the Papacito salsa or maybe the Uncle Julio's down the street. I mean, think, think about it. When it's set down in front of you, what do you do? You eat it. And you don't stop eating it. And they bring you basket after basket after basket. And you keep eating it. And that's fine. It's good. Right? But sometimes you're trying to be a little healthier when you go in there. And you don't want to eat the chips. Right? And so in order to get out of there without, without eating the chips, you've got two options. Right? One, they can set it down in front of you. And you can tell yourself, I'm going to be good. I'm going to put my hands in my pocket until my food gets here and I'm just not going to eat it. And I've tried that. And your laughter means that you have too. Um, it doesn't work, right? We always eat it because it's there. The other option is this. The waiter or waitress comes up and says, hey, thanks for coming. Here's your chips. If, if you resist right then, say, hey, you know what? No, thanks. I don't want those today. Please take those away. What happens? They're gone. Right? They disappear. They don't sit on your table. They're taken away. And, and it's a whole lot easier to not eat them if they're not there. I, I, everybody struggles with temptation. I, I get that, right? If, if you look in verse 7, when, when we resist to that temptation, when we say no to it, what happens? The Bible doesn't say that it sits right there and stays in front of us. Resist the devil and what? He will flee 
from you. There is movement away from us. There is movement in the opposite direction of us if we're simply willing to stand strong and resist the temptation that's placed before us, right? We all face it, Adam and Eve, up up until now, right? And, And James says, stand firm, resist, and he'll flee from us. So as we are seeking to submit to God, to be friends of God, to live in that growing relationship with God, for us right here, it starts by resisting the one whose sole purpose is to destroy us. Resisting the one whose sole purpose is to disrupt the intimacy that we have with God. So think about how that plays out without the chips. Think, it, think about it in real life. Something happens at school, something happens at work, and you get that big head. You think, man, I, I'm doing great. And, and this sense of pride wells up within you. When you feel that sense of pride coming on and you know that it's taking you to, to a place where you are more confident in yourself than you are in God, pop that bubble, that, that ego, and say, God, humble me, right? And, and instead of lifting yourself up, just take a second to lift someone else up and encourage them, right? Resist in that moment. If you're at work and, and you've got some friction with a coworker uh, and, and things are not going well with them and all of a sudden you have the, the opportunity to, to gossip about them or to lie about them or to talk about them behind their back because somebody has come to you with something in that moment, what does he say? He says, resist that. Say, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And instead, talk, talk lovingly about that person. Listen, if you're tempted to lust or, or, or down that road, that direction, and God's word says right here, stop. Right? Take that thought captive, resist that, and what happens? It doesn't hang around. It will flee from you. Listen, the, the moment that we resist, right, it, it runs from us. It's gone. And, and then say, Jesus, I choose you. And, and that's the next part of submitting to God. Why, we resist the devil. And then, then we turn. Right? We're, we're not facing over here resisting, resisting, resisting. We resist, and then we turn. Right? And we chase after the things of God. Look at verse 8. Draw near to God, and what's God going to do? He's going to draw near to us. Right? You see the movement that happens. We're, we're at this pivotal moment where we're deciding who we're going to be with. When we stand strong against sin, it runs away. But when we turn and face God and begin to walk towards him, the Bible says that God draws near to us. There is spiritual movement that is taking place. It is not just text on a page. It's the life that you and I live every single day. No, and the sin goes when we turn to God and we start drawing near to him. And the Bible says God draws near to us. And, and listen, I, I read something recently. I, I apologize. I can't quote on where it's from, but it has really stuck in my mind. And so if you're sitting here thinking, listen, I, what's on the screen makes sense. I, I get that. I, I know that it's right, but, but I'm living in, in the real world and I'm just feeling torn and I'm struggling and I want to go towards the things of God. I want to be close and intimate with God. I want to walk before him the way that he's called me to go. But there are things in my life that I can't seem to let go of, no matter how much I battle and struggle and fight. I, I just can't when in the middle of this, I want to read this quote, and maybe it'll connect with you. It's this. It's not that our desire to sin is too strong to overcome. It's that our desire for God is not strong enough. A huge part of this passage, guys, is that desire for God, is that turning to Him. And, and it's possible for every single one of us. And these verses, 7 and 8, are the key to that. It's just that sometimes... When we want this, we're facing the wrong direction. 
right? Well, we're not necessarily giving in. We're battling, and we're saying no, and we're resisting, but we resist, and we resist, and we resist, and that's good. We have to do that, right? But at some point, it's got to go from this, right? If, if we're only going to get tired doing this over and over and over, it has to go from this to actually turning and facing the direction that we know we're called to go, facing the direction that God has, has laid out for us to go, right? Turn to him and he'll draw near to you. And as we do, that desire grows and, and we'll turn to him and, and live in this world with a humble heart. We'll deal with the sin that's in our lives as we turn to God. We'll let that friendship with the world go. It's behind us. It's gone as we chase after Jesus. And, and we'll allow that love relationship we have with him to navigate every area of our life and our family, our work, our school, our priorities, our hobbies, all of that stuff will be driven by our love relationship with Christ, right? So when temptation comes, identify it, we stand strong against it, and we turn to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, you, you are good, you are loving, you are holy. Jesus, you love me, you want what's best for me. I'm drawing near to you right now. And listen, that is an action step. Right? That, that is what he is calling us to actively do. It is not just something we say and hope that, that we'll get closer to Jesus by saying no over here. He says, draw near to God. So in that moment, day by day, draw near to God. Pause and go to the Lord in prayer and say, Jesus, I choose you. God, I, I choose you. I love you. I thank you. And just choose him, right? In that moment of prayer in the middle of the day, open up the Bible and, and get into it if you need to. T turn on some worship music, something Right, to draw near to God when, when you've got that tug in both directions. Actively draw near to God, right? This submitting to God that turns us towards him, that turns us towards him, comes when we resist and move towards him. And here's the deal, just, just as a reminder, this passage was written for a reason to that church in the first century. God preserved his word for us to today because it's applicable to you and to me today, right? Just like people in that first century felt that tug back and forth between the priorities of the world and the goodness of God. Guys, we face that on a regular basis. There's people right here right now that are battling in this war back and forth and, and the whole concept here. Is to turn towards God. James knows it's a serious thing. If you look at verse 9, James says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter go to mourning and your joy go to gloom. He wants to remind us that, that sin is not a casual thing in our life. We don't treat it like it's no big deal. We deal with it. We humble ourselves. And then what does he do? That song that James sang just a few minutes ago, he turns our mourning to laughter and, and that kind of stuff. You see it right here in these verses, 9 and 10. We mourn over our sin. And then in verse 10, what does he do? He, he, uh, he exalts us and he lifts us up, right? Friendship with the world beats us down. Friendship with God lifts us up. The last thing that James would want his readers then in the first century or any of us reading this passage today would think that this is a message of despair, right? This is the opposite of that. This is a message of hope, right? James is telling people that are struggling, that live in real life and feel the tension between these two things that, that, that the same temptations they faced then that we're facing now, that we can experience something better than that, right? Jesus said in John 10.10, you know what? The thief, the world, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come 
that they may have life and have it abundantly. Listen, friendship with the world leads to destruction. Friendship with God leads to eternal life. As, as we're picking our friends, as we're choosing the direction that we're going to go in life, it is so abundantly clear what is good for us, what is best for us, and that is to walk with Jesus. But we live in a world that's shouting the opposite. So we've got to let this truth anchor down in our soul and day by day ensure that we are doing all that we can to walk with Jesus. And, and as we do, and if you look at the rest of this chapter, you see that what our lives begin to look like, and it's the exact opposite of friendship with the world. We see that as we walk with Jesus, our relationship with other people is right. There's this sense of peace in our hearts knowing that God's in control. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we will live right. We'll do the things that God has called us to do. Because when we live as friends of God, everything is better. Everything is right. And I'll just say that there are so many more things we could say about this passage. We could talk about it for weeks. We could talk about it for weeks. And I want to make sure we understand what James is, is, is hoping we'll do, what God is hoping we'll do as we read this passage. Our application, our, our point for home, uh, what we need to do is ensure that we are walking as friends of God. We know what the world offers, and we know it's an illusion. Right? It's not going to lead to peace. It's not going to lead to joy. It's not going to lead to life. It's going to lead to destruction. And, and as followers of Christ, right, we know what a relationship with God brings us. It brings us a sense of peace and joy and hope, unlike anything else we could experience. That Jesus has come to give me and to give you life and to give it abundantly. And we can experience it. We can live in it day by day as we walk in friendship with him. So let's make sure that we're facing in the right direction and walking closely and intimately with Jesus. Can I pray for us? I just want to take a second uh, with, with our heads bowed, just for a moment, uh, acknowledging and knowing uh, that, that we live in a tough world to live in. Acknowledging that the past several months have been stressful, have been hard for, for every single person, and here's some of us facing more difficult seasons than others, and just saying, hey, listen, this passage right here was written for a reason. There's people that, that have struggled in their walk with Jesus. They've struggled to stay intimate with him because the things of this world have such a strong pull on us. So this morning, if you would say, hey, listen, you know what? Reading through that, I, I, I just need to say that, that my priorities, my heart, my mind has been focused in the wrong direction. Use this moment now to just humble yourself before God and say, God, that's me. And I know that's not best. And I know that's not right. God, help me to draw near to you right now and step by step moving forward. God, draw me near to you. And, and some of you may be saying, hey, this morning I, I've never trusted in Jesus. I've never experienced the joy that comes from knowing him and being in a relationship with him. If you would say that's you and you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, then step into that relationship that brings abundant life. When we dismiss in just a minute, we'll have some prayer partners down here by the baptistry that would love to pray with you about what it means to trust in Jesus. If you're online watching, you can text your name to that number on the screen. We would love to pray with you this morning and show you what it means to step into a relationship with Christ. And for everyone else, 
if you would say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm growing in that love relationship with Christ. Remember that this passage was written for a reason. Thank God for where you're at right now and ask him to help you to day by day continue walking in intimacy with him. God, we love you and we trust you. And God, I pray for myself, for my family. God, I pray for our church family that you would help each and every one of us to step by step, day by day, walk in intimacy and fellowship. God, as a friend of yours, God, help us to draw near to you and realize your promise from Scripture, God, that you also will draw near to us. God, we thank you for that promise in your word this morning. And pray that we would be a church on fire, God, drawing near to you. We love you and we trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.